Welcome to This Week in Liberpods, your libertarian, voluntarist, anarchist, and agorist podcast test drive show. I'm your host, Nikki P. Let's check out five new podcasts. Our first podcast this week is The Fifth Column, one of my personal favorites, hosted by Matt Welch, Michael Moynihan, and Camille Foster. The show is a roundtable-style show featuring three well-known libertarian pundits. Let's check it out. We stop recording. You're like, dude, do you know about the Holocaust? That was kind of like not <laughs> what people said it was. I'm like, dude, what are you doing out it's there? It's just the that woods? the numbers, the yeah, numbers the are are in question. Yeah, yeah, they're in question. We want to get those yeah. right. Yeah. Now I've called you black a lot of things, like black Ron Paul. You're black uh, David Irving now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's certain people who would know what that is. <laughs> um, yeah. And the ovens I, yeah. just can't get that hot. <laughs> we have no, to be honest. About no. This. No. You can't. Oh. No. That's going to be one of those ones that we're going to flood it. No, you're going to flood emails tomorrow saying, hey, what is that thing you cut out that Camille said? I'm like, I, yep. you, I swear to God, you know, I'm like, what's the time on this? But um, Lisa has a lot of uh, smart thoughts and um, she's an expert in these things and we are not. And, um, and uh, I think that it's perfectly reasonable for us to kind of air our anxieties and and uh, questions about this stuff because we're learning about this stuff as almost everybody else is. I, I think perhaps we're paying a little mm-hmm. bit more closer attention to it. But um, sure. yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, is that I still think that there's a penalty online, particularly on on Twitter, if you ask a question be, that that is like like slightly heterodox. And the reason I say that is I think, or the reason I think that exists is because in the kind of era we're in now of talking about fake news all the time and people on both sides do this or like anti-vaxxers, whatever it is, like this certain questions about this from people who were literally just confused and they don't know, Hey, if this is really affecting only old people, is it that big of a deal? What about herd immunity? Like is the death rate that high, et cetera? How is Italy different? Um, To mention that stuff is that because we have this kind of instinct now to talk about people who who do question the kind of orthodoxy and things to say that they must be crackpots and cranks and to say they're you know because donald trump is doing this too they must be trumpian crackpots and cranks and that's just not fair because i think that this is something that extends far beyond any typical ideological divides i'll give you a good example is that glenn greenwald had a tweet today or yesterday when it was said that cnn um, I think K, uh, KCRW, not KCRW, whatever the, the NPR station in Seattle is, would not be covering Donald Trump's press conferences because he lies so much and blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> and we remember this replay from the 2016 election of like Huffington Post is going to put him in the entertainment section and we're not going oh, yeah. to cover him as a, as a joke because nothing he says is real. Because it is, this is this kind of sculpting of reality that both Donald Trump and his, his adversaries and detractors do, is that you cannot sculpt reality in the sense that Donald Trump just believes he can make things up as he goes and just off the cuff and like, it's fine. And people question him. He says it's fake news. And the other people who want to sculpt reality in a different way that says you cannot hear what Donald Trump is saying because you're going to be poisoned by his ideas and you should not 
actually as a citizen of the United States of America should not be able to hear what the president has to say, say because it is wrong, says, you know, a Mandarin at, uh, you know, KCRW or whatever it is. Margaret um, Sullivan wrote, uh, you know, the that's bad, by the way. And Glenn, just quick point. Glenn Greenwald, man, very much of the left, um, was like, this is crazy. And I agree. Donald Trump is crazy. And the response to it is also crazy. The, yeah, Margaret Sullivan wrote a column of the Washington Post arguing precisely that, like, you know, we've got to and we've heard this a lot but that Jeff Jarvis is of the world like, you know, uh, hey, Jack, uh, you have to cut his Twitter feed because he's, mm-hmm. you know, practicing hate speech or, or some kind of crap. Like, dude, he's the he's the president. He's the president. Like, he's actually the president Sucks, of the United, the United States, whatever. <laughs> like we we got to this place uh, and like getting out of it is not going to require Um, or is not going to be done uh, by censorship. Once again, that was the Fifth Column Podcast. Our second clip this week is from the Gingerarchy Podcast, hosted by Trisha Stewart-Mann. The show is an interview-type podcast with a flair for irreverent comedy. Let's dig in. So you're a therapist and you're talking about being positive during these times. And I actually wanted to touch on that. So um, a lot of people that, especially people that uh, deal with depression, anxiety, maybe even like extroverts like myself that feel very isolated and disconnected, even though we have uh, this wonderful technology where I'm talking to you in Scotland right now and I live in Ohio, but um, what can they do to kind of reset themselves and, uh, you know, look for the best, be happy in these times. Are, is there something that they can do? And then also, where can they go to find your videos and books and um, your help? Oh, that's really cool of you. Well, Be Yourself and Love It podcast is pretty cool, I think. I'm more known for my libertarian stuff, but that one has a reasonable sized audience. And if you kind of Anthony Samroff YouTube, I've, I put all the live streams I do on Facebook eventually up on the YouTube channel as well. I've got a bunch of short self-help videos um, I definitely recommend Be Yourself and Love It podcast. I really like it. I've listened to other, uh, even though it's my own podcast, like I've listened to other ones. And, Just own uh, it. If you don't like yourself, then stop yeah. putting out content. If you like well, yourself, I mean, then it, put it out. <laughs> it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be called Be Yourself and Love It podcast. Wouldn't, <laughs> would it? It'd have to be called something like despise yourself and kind of uh, meekly penetrate the world with your meager content podcast or something. But that's but, such a long title. Yeah, I know. It's it's quite goth, though. It might pass with that. <laughs> pass for that. Yeah, I, most people who want to speak to me connect to me on Facebook, and I'm cool with that. I think that's a good way to communicate. Yeah, I'm not full yet, so you can still add me. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess asking me what people should do during the coronavirus crisis to stay on the straight and narrow is putting kind of like a lot of responsibility on me. But, mm. you know, there there's... There, I just say most of it is not really that profound. Like a lot of people, people say that, you know, if you don't take exercise, uh, you get depressed, like taking exercise is some kind of antidepressant. It's really the under, other way around. This body, this system is made to move. And if you lived a couple of hundred years ago, you'd be doing 10 to 20 times mm-hmm. as much physical activity as you are doing now. So not moving your body depresses the system. Mm. 
the system gets depressed and that's why you know we get sluggish we can't be bothered doing anything our brain gets cloudy it's everything that i like i work as a therapist as you as you mentioned and i have methods when it to talk help people talk through their issues so that they can remove the emotional memory from their system i am um, well you know you know, you don't forget the shit that happened to you, but it, uh, um, but you can think about stuff that you used to think about that still gave you a hard time or your system felt depressed without having, without feeling really crap about it, without, yeah, and things like that. When you go through, as you go through the process of therapy, if you've got a good therapist, the reason why I say that is the the, the in relation to what we're talking about is. I like to see the human being as a biological organism that has needs, you know? Mm -hmm. We've got physiological needs, we've got um, social needs, we've got emotional needs. Um, physiologically, we've got much the same needs as animals do. You know, we need to eat, drink, pee, poop, uh, not take in poison. I'm a girl, I don't poop. All oh, right, okay, and and when you, and it's not, and, and when you fart like little angels, I don't do that angels, either. With, I just kind of yeah, hold it in until pink. I get really angry and passive aggressive. Well, well, that's the that's the that's where the pink angels come in. <laughs> they, they 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 take it out of you in little packets and they fly away. This is true. Like Cupid. Yeah. Like, oh, little fairies, little fart fairies, yeah. flying Her all around fairies. me. <laughs> I am so, ridiculous. I apologize. Yeah, especially because yes. you're ginger. Ginger <laughs> yeah. girls, ginger girls fart perfume. They, we do. Once again, that was the Gingerarchy podcast featuring guest Anthony Samaroff. Our third clip this week is from the Anarchist Experience podcast hosted by Mr. Rich E. Rich. The show is a radio-style call-in show with featured guests. Let's check it out. I think we're we're going to be in a complete agreement on that because you know one of the one of the things that came up uh, you know we took a lot of callers on Free Talk Live and a lot of them you know were a lot of them were voicing their discontent with the way the government has responded so far. But what what came up and the interesting aspect to me is how many uh, libertarians, free market, freedom oriented, you know, liberty minded individuals, anarchists, right, were okay with the government response because this is a crisis. Right. And my yeah. response at the time was, well, the, the libertarian position should always be less regulation, less government, you know, as often as possible in every case. Right. You know, it shouldn't be like, oh, this 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 particular case is special. So we need more regulation. We need we need intervention into the marketplace. Right. It's like, no, libertarian position, anarchist position, get the government out of it. Let things fall as they may, right? Let the chips lie as they will. Uh, and if you truly believe in the, you know, the free market process, it'll sort itself out more efficiently, faster, and in better form than anything that the government can mandate top down. Here's something that may very much appeal to you. Uh, you know how when you uh, find a loan or sign some kind of document and there's all this fine print in there. And all you do is say, okay, to proceed, check here that you agree to this legal document. Um, and you, you know that situation well with, with um, the kinds of, of uh, business and activity that you had. Well, suppose you have the same opportunity, not just for 
accepting the music you're going to download, but for the same reliability that you have for entering into a store. But you, uh, in order to enter this store, just check this box and all the fine print that goes along with it, you agree to it. Now, you would probably insist that, well, uh, if they check the box, they've got to read it and really understand it. <laughs> no one checks, maybe, no maybe one not. reads the box. I know, I know. <laughs> but in that, in that way, the market can set up uh, protections for people. I mean, that's what sure. you were enforcing. And I'd say that that was a market response to issues of um, uh, complicated issues. So this has come up, uh, man, I forget who I was having. Uh, I, it might have been an online discussion. The whole, like, contract to enter a place of business, right? Mm -hmm. To me, not having that in place is the closest argument that I will accept for the existence of the quote-unquote social contract, right? Because, no, you didn't explicitly sign a, a, a piece of paper, you know, listing all the rules and regulations and terms and agreements before walking into the supermarket, right? However, certain things are understood at a societal and cultural level on how you behave when you're in the supermarket that we don't need to put into a rule book before you enter, right? And the basis of that, I think, is English common law. It, it was decided by long practice. What what Hayek would have refute, re, would have referred to as this, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the the spontaneous order developing all these traditions that uh, that people become accustomed to, and uh, and you're right, it isn't explicitly stated, but it is a part of common law because of long practice and precedent. Right. So so do we need? explicit contracts before we enter the grocery store to to absolve people of liability or can those those customary uh, acts those customary laws take precedent and you know having grown up in this culture right or you know migrating to this culture there's an expectation that you learn some of those those customs uh, when going into a place of business and if you violate one of them right then the property owner will say hey dude you can't do that in here right? And you got to go, right? And then you either, you either go or you're forcibly removed from the property. Uh, no documentation, no contract, no terms of service. Once again, that was the Anarchist Experience Podcast. Our fourth installment today is the Year Zero Podcast from Tommy Sammonsberger over at the Libertarian Institute. The show is a mixed format style with monologues and interviews. Let's see what we got this week. It's, it's generally basically they're doing the exact same thing they were doing in 2008. I don't know for from my perspective, it seems like it's actually more than what they did in 2008. Am I am, did I miss something in 2008? I wasn't near as active in paying attention to what was going on. So were they doing as much in as far as the printing and the injecting money into the system uh, in 2008 as they are now or or well. Yes and no. It it is happening much faster okay. this time. Uh, I, I can give you some inter interest rate perspective that I happen to know off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. uh, at at when when the crash started in two thousand eight, when people started getting getting concerned, the interest rate was actually at about five percent, which isn't particularly high, uh, but you know much higher than where we were when this started. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, from from there, it took about a year and a couple of months 
to go from that level down to zero. Mm -hmm. We went from the level that it was when coronavirus started, which was, I I think it was 1.25. So we were at 1.25, which is lower than five, if you haven't noticed. Hmm. We went from there to zero in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so this is happening on a much faster scale. But like I said, the, the loose monetary policy actually started long before the coronavirus thing hit. So uh, I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but I think I can sum it up relatively quickly. In mm -hmm. 2008, we went to zero. They launched three rounds of quantitative easing, uh, in effect, pumping money into the system. Most of that money ended up going into the stock market. That's why we've seen these record stock market levels. Mm -hmm. uh, it created a fake wealth effect. People felt like they had more. It pumped up a new housing bubble. It'll, you know, This easy money, low interest rates allow people to borrow. So we're at a situation now where people are way over leveraged. We have trillions. American uh, consumers have over $1 trillion in credit card debt right now. Mm -hmm. uh, 60% of American corporations have uh, their bonds are rated just one step above junk. So, you know, we're, we have nearly 60% that are in precarious financial situations when it comes to corporations. Mm. Obviously, we all know about the government debt. We're, we're running trillion-dollar deficits before this even started to happen. Yeah. In 28, uh, the, the Federal Reserve began to try to normalize. So they did all of this activity in 2008. Took them all the way to 2016 before they even started to attempt to normalize. Raised interest rates just a tad. Uh, they really started in earnest in 2018 to try to raise interest rates. And they, they raised interest rates, I think, three or four times in 2018. They started to shrink the balance sheet. In other words, start to soak up that liquidity that's out there, try to bring the dollars back into the Fed. And if you recall, in December of or fall of 2018, the stock market started to crash. And the response was to stop raising interest rates. They stopped shrinking the balance sheet. And then last year, we had three interest rate cuts. So we had three rate cuts before coronavirus. So that's what I'm saying, that we were actually – the bubble was starting to deflate before coronavirus hit. Mm -hmm. Coronavirus is the pin that has absolutely popped that bubble now. I don't think there's any reinflating it at this point because this is not just a coronavirus – created economic problem this is an economic problem that was that was in existence because of past actions from the government and the federal reserve it's the natural business cycle it was just waiting for the pin to prick it coronavirus is that pin uh you know and and here we are within two weeks we've lost like 30 percent of the stock market the stock market is now below where it was when uh, trump took office so all of the gains that we've seen in the trump presidency are, have vanished in just two weeks right i i talked once again that was the year zero podcast featuring guest michael meharry of the 10th amendment center our final clip this week is the libertarian christian podcast hosted by doug stewart over at the libertarian christian institute the show is an interview style show obviously focusing on christianity let's see what they got this week I think a lot of people have seen that sort of situation. Like, you know, my interaction with people who are drug addicts is what I catch on the news, right? And so, and, and I mm -hmm. think that's probably the case with a lot of people. 
um, a lot of possibly conservative Christians, they, you know, who may not be in ministry in this direction. And so they hear about drug addicts being locked up. They hear about drug addicts causing problems, you know, for their children. Mm-hmm. And there's a stereotype that what you just said doesn't, that doesn't fit that stereotype. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what circumstances people come into because I grew up in a church that was really conservative, probably similar to what you grew up with. You know, I, I went to Bible college as well. Like we, I didn't experiment with drugs. You know, for me, it was experimenting with non-Christian mm-hmm. music. <laughs> you know, that was the level yeah. that we were dealing with. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's there's a whole different world. And I was right. under the impression up until maybe eight to 10 years ago that, you know, it was just all a matter of choice and individual responsibility. And, you know, these people, yeah, sorry, they're a victim of their circumstance, but they do have free agency and therefore... Um, you know, they've made bad choices. And so that's their fault. That's not on us. And mm-hmm. I, I've certainly come to the realization that it is way more complicated than that. Um, mm-hmm. And it is, it's also callous for me to sit and say, oh, well, that's just, that's, well, they just better, you know, have responsibility, you know, and that's just their problem. So, you know, your story kind of counteracts the, oh, wait we are talking about real people here. And like that's, that, that's mm-hmm. the, the agent there is that we're talking about real people. We're talking about real harm. We're talking about something that violates uh, people's sort of fundamental dignity in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't have a follow-up question right there for you, but um, I don't know if you want to make any comments on the stereotypes. Yeah, so... Um... I find two things that happen. I talk about this with a lot of people. I do a lot of presentations. I'm speaking to groups and um, often hosting discussion after that. And there's a lot of people who will say, well, look, my experience with drug use and addiction is very different from, you know, your experience with Joanne. And so I can't agree with you because our, addi- you know, the addiction that I experienced in my family was incredibly destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I would say to them, we agree then that we should be handling drugs in the way that causes less harm to families like yours, whether or not you're, I I see my experience with Joanne humanized addiction to me. I think that is always the right thing, especially from a Christian perspective. We're always dealing with human beings made in the image of God. Um, But, but whether or not our experience is the same, Joanne drew me into the issue to learn how, how can we best handle drugs? Uh, and different people come to that issue with very different experiences. But I think if if you look at the issue, um, you can see that whether or not your the experience of addiction is less harmful or more harmful, obviously we all want it to be less harmful to people. I could never support the legalization of drugs if I thought I was sacrificing people's families for their, you know, for the user's dignity. But, you know, it's going to destroy your family, but at least it treats you humanly. Uh, what I'm advocating for is is a world where I see everybody gets a better outcome, a better chance at a better outcome, including the families of people who are struggling with addiction. So I want to talk about why that is, because that can be very difficult for people to envision mm-hmm. because we experience addiction in a criminalized market in such harmful ways. And it's hard for us to envision a world where it looked any different, although it did prior to the criminalization of drugs. And I think it will again when we end that. So if you look at what happens to a market. All right. Once again, that was the Libertarian Christian Podcast. 
we have reached the end of the episode. So if you like what we do, feel free to hit us up at This Week in Liberpods on Facebook, at Liberpods on Twitter, or Liberpods.com. If there's a show you think we missed, send it along. Also, to this point, there have been no repeats, so it is absolutely worth it to go back to episode one and start from the beginning. Lastly, be sure to check out our friends at Liberty Podcast Ranker. I hope the test drive was worth it, and have a good day. This podcast is a proud creation of the Mad Audio Lab. For more information, check out madaudiolab.com. This Week in Liberpods is part of the Liberty Hippie Podcast Network. If you like what we do, be sure to check out Homesteads and Homeschools, Peace Freaks, Cannabis Heals Me, and Free Markets Green Earth. We're living proof that libertarian doesn't mean washed up Republican.